The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Hello, listeners on Saga 960 AM and those listening around the world on streaming and podcast services. This is It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner, and I am not a therapist, but I am your source for practical advice for everyday problems, using my top 10 sayings for checking in with your best self. This episode, we're going to talk about anxiety and anger. My guest this episode is going to be clinical psychologist Bob Taby talking about anxiety and anger in family dynamics. Bob's super high energy. You are not going to want to miss that interview. But first, let's level set. Some of you listening may know I've been struggling with long COVID for a few months now. So I've had personal experience with the cycles of anxiety, anger, frustration, and exhaustion as I just try to keep my head above water fighting a series of changing symptoms. Some weeks it's brain fog. Other weeks it's severe digestive issues and brain fog. Then I'll have the occasional day where I feel better and I think, well, hope I'm improving. And then I wake up the next day and feel like I've been hit by a bus again. But of course, if I talk about this in a lot of places, I'm accused of whining, I'm playing the victim, I'm feeling sorry for myself, I should just suck it up, I'm just lazy, take vitamins, exercise, do this therapy, that therapy, it's angering. But we've all been taught that anger is bad, right? We shouldn't get angry, we need to be like totally anti-Hulk, just Bruce Banner zen, right? Anger's bad, well... At least angers is shamed. And I think we're running out of road regarding anger shaming. More and more people are feeling invalidated and rejected, and there are a lot of opportunists willing to exploit people's anguish. It's gotten impossible to keep up with the latest internet pundit claiming to stand up for the misunderstood and maligned unwashed masses of various identity groups. It was only a few weeks ago that a certain former U of T psychology professor referred to awkward young men as a marginalized group. We could fight about whether that statement is based in fact. We could fight about that all day. But this isn't that kind of show. Instead, I want to look at what that does to the people who hear statements like that. Because everyone feels awkward sometimes. A lot of us feel awkward a lot. Some of us are just better at hiding the awkward than other people. I mean, I get self-conscious talking to myself like this for this show. I'm talking to you listening, but I'm in a room by myself here. It's weird. It takes practice to not be openly self-conscious. And... I mean, that's trivial, right? Compared to the difficult times we're living in. Undeniably difficult times. And our frameworks for understanding the world are failing us. COVID isn't over. And now we're getting hammered by inflation, extreme weather events, news of wars, the cyclical insanity of U.S. politics, the increasingly polarized climate here in Canada, a churn of child abuse scandals, 
And it's possible that since I started this show, Kanye West has managed to offend yet another entire group of people by saying something idiotic. Who isn't feeling marginalized these days? Who isn't? Who exactly is centered in society? I don't think anyone knows. A lot of us are dealing with aging relatives, families strained by various tensions, you know, not least of which are Facebook conspiracy rabbit holes. People are fighting at work, battling with the boss over going back to the office and numerous other things. Your workplace might even be facing a looming strike right now, and a strike will mean making ends meet is going to be even harder for a while. Inflation plus strike? That's anxiety-inducing. That's angering. Of course, if you're a homeowner, you're seeing doom and gloom stories about how your house might lose 30% of its value. And I, I am a homeowner renegotiating my mortgage this last time was a pig in a you-know-what. But I'm a homeowner. If you're not a homeowner... You're probably thinking, gee, must be nice to have those problems. And I hear you. A lot of people can't afford a home and don't think they'll ever be able to. These are hard times. Even if things are going relatively well for you, there's still this static in the air, isn't there? Something is an irritant. Maybe you watched a TV show or movie that made you feel strangely attacked and you just can't put your finger on why. Or maybe you saw a story on the news before you could switch it off that left you just feeling rattled. That sort of tension, it seems to be everywhere. It seems to be inescapable. We can't outrun it. Now, if you're in a healthy, supportive environment, you're able to talk about these anxieties. You're able to talk about what makes you angry. If you're not, you might be feeling like you're getting overwhelmed. Worse, you might try to talk to people about what you're feeling and you keep getting shut down. You know, we talked about this in a previous show. Told the people have it worse, to look on the bright side. You might be getting told you're overreacting. You know, listen to the show on toxic positivity if you missed it. Reacting is not overreacting. And anxiety doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. If you're like me, you're getting a lot of lectures from doctors about reducing stress. But life doesn't really work that way, does it? Reduce stress. Gee, I'd love to. How? <laughs> You know, you cut back on the caffeine, you get more sleep, you exercise, you eat better, you practice mindfulness, you meditate, you go for walks, you get the soothing lavender oils, you do all that stuff. And some days you still feel completely like you're at the, your wit's end. And that prolonged anxiety can easily shift into anger because no one can be that cranked up for that long and not have something snap what's happening to you is not fair you deserve better and that's a fact now culturally for many years multiple generations we've pathologized anxiety too many people think that any anxiety is the sign of a problem 
instead of being taught that there's a form of anxiety that's healthy and many forms of anxiety that are decidedly not. Now, part of this is rooted in the fact that multiple generations have been raised and educated in environments that never taught them how to make mistakes and fail at things effectively. And this is, you're probably thinking, oh, cancel culture. Yeah, you've probably heard something about cancel culture. Whatever you think about cancel culture, it's not important for the purposes of this program. Cancel culture is a huge source of stress for many people. I've got clients in my 20s and 30s with this existential dread that they're going to have their reputation their future livelihood, their current livelihood, destroyed by a false accusation or a decades-old transgression, and they won't get a chance to defend themselves. It just seems to be getting more and more difficult to just go about your life and mind your own business. And it's leading to so much anxiety and so much anger that people are hurting their personal, professional, and academic lives. The existential problem of our age is this. How does someone set healthy goals that they can control when nothing seems to be something the average person can control? Anxiety is healthy when it tells us something is wrong and inspires us to make positive changes. Anxiety is unhealthy when we can't make changes. And so the anxiety just keeps increasing. And of course, if you're having panic attacks, that's not good. Now, many of us are trained to be constantly anxious as children and teenagers, either because of unstable home environments or unrealistic parental pressures. This is why cognitive behavioral therapy helps many people reduce anxiety. But workplace abuse can also do a number on a lot of people, even people with stable childhoods. And there's injuries, illnesses, anything else that suddenly takes away a sense of control, of stability over our own lives. This can drive anxiety way up. There are as many combinations of factors as there are people. Now, remember, this show is called it's not therapy, so I'm not going to go into medications or traditional treatments for anxiety here. That's what doctors, psychiatrists, and professional therapists are for. If you think you need one, go see one. I'm here to provide a complementary approach. So here's the deal. Anxiety is your body and mind giving you a red flag. And it's very important to listen to your body when it's giving you those signals. Remember, Listen twice before you talk once. And that includes listening to yourself. In this case, it's more like listen twice before you act once. Listen first to what your body is telling you. Then listen to why it's telling you that cue. Are you feeling anxious about the facts of a situation? Or are you feeling anxious because of fears about the situation. The same goes with anger. Listen twice before you talk once. Are you angry because of the situation you're experiencing at face value? Or are you angry because of what you're reading between the lines, assuming and inferring? Because if you have to do that much mind reading 
maybe it's better to walk away from that environment. And if that doesn't feel right, be very careful you're not making yourself more miserable than you have to be. Now, I really wish I could give more specifics here. But like I said, there's essentially an infinite number of anger and anxiety-inducing combinations. And I don't want to steal my guest thunder. So when we come back, clinical social worker Bob Taby with a pros take on the link between anger and anxiety. If you have a question on this or anything else, give me a call, 289-275-9600. Or you can email me, liana at nottherapyshow.com. That's L-I-A-N-A at nottherapyshow.com. Or at nottherapy on Twitter and Instagram. Get a lot of questions on Twitter lately. More on that later in the show right now. Bob Taby up after the break. Lots of energy. Get ready to get stoked on It's Not Therapy. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on It's Not Therapy. I am still Leanna Kersner. I am still not a therapist. It's time once again for the It's Not Therapy interview. We are talking anxiety and anger this week, uh, the topic for the show. And I'm here with clinical social worker Bob Paby. Bob writes for Psychology Today, a blog. He's the author of 13 books. He's got 48 years experience uh his blog's called fixing families correct bob that's the name of your yes. blog okay fixing families and let's start there where bob does the family element tie into the correlation between anxiety and anger well obviously it's a struggle for a lot of individuals in a family even kids but also that's what i, I do a lot of work with families and couples and a lot of time that's what brings them in you know, the partner saying, like, you know, my husband's always irritable or my wife is always crabby or, you know, somebody has a real anxiety problem and they don't know how to help them, you know, and they're they're walking on eggshells and they're afraid to say the wrong thing, either because they're going to get angry or they're going to get more anxious or they feel overwhelmed. And oftentimes, they're you know, the other partners feeling like they got to pick up the slack, you know, so it's mm-hmm. either walking on eggshells or I have to do the heavy lifting and Which it gets just- old. Yeah, which yeah. breeds more anxiety and more tension. And 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 you, you talk about the anger-anxiety connection. I find it's sometimes very difficult to tell whether someone's angry and whether someone's anxious. You have like a 50-50 shot of getting it right. Sure. Like, I understand you're angry. I'm not angry. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> but right. what what is that connection? Why do they display so closely to each other? Yeah, I think for a lot of folks, particularly with anger, I mean, we look at anger as anger, you know, people mm-hmm. just kind of blow up, they have a temper. And, you know, that's the way Charlie is, or that's the way Sarah is. Mm-hmm. And, but a lot of times, you know, this is what always comes to mind for me is, you know, the kid in school, you know, in the eighth grade, who's always getting in trouble, you know, somebody looks at him cross-eyed, and he's snapping and hey, you talking to me? kind of, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. going off. And we see this kid as sort of this 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 bully kind of kid who's got this attitude. And there are small, you know, there are some kids who, and a lot of adults, 
you know, where anger is about power and <laughs> anger is about, you know, controlling other people in a, in a powerful kind of way. But my experience, because I used to do a lot of work with teenagers and, and kids, is a lot of times they're not angry as hypervigilant. A lot of times these kind of kids grow up in families where there's a lot of volatility. The parents are always arguing or somebody's got a drug problem and they really can't figure out what kind of mood mom or dad is in. And what happens for as a kid, you don't have a whole lot of ways of coping, Mm -hmm. you know, and one of your primary ways of coping in that kind of a situation is I got to stay hyper alert. You know, I got to, I walk in the door after school I got to check out what kind of mood my mom or my or my dad's in, you know, because I need to know whether I need to walk on eggshells, whether I need to stay in my room and stay out of sight. And it makes sense. And it works as a kid. I mean, again, you don't have a whole lot of resources. The problem with that is as an adult, you don't turn it off. Right. And so what happens is your brain gets wired for this kind of hypervigilant overreaction kind of fight response. You know, where folks with a lot of anxiety tend to do the flight response or the freeze response, a lot of angry people tend to just kind of get into the fight stance. Mm -hmm. And again, the danger here with families or couples is because they don't have a big emotional range, they just see them as always angry. And they don't really understand what's making them tick. They're not aware of the anxiety that's going on underneath it. (laughs) And they kind of are either writing them off or walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now let's talk about that emotional range. Cause in your article, you talk about people who are, you know, angry people, people with a lot of anxiety, they have a small emotional range. Right. And a lot of people they're like, okay, I understand range. How does emotional range work? Sure. You know, it, uh, you know, most of us or a lot of us have, we, f- we feel a whole array of emotions. You know, I know the difference between being tired and hungry. I know the difference between feeling worried about something and feeling frustrated with something. But my experience is a lot of folks who either are anxious or angry really have a hard time discerning other emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the you know, the person who tends to have problems with anger, they get tired, they get crabby, you know, they get hungry, mm-hmm. they get angry, they, they get frustrated, they're angry, they're sad, they're angry. Everything kind of comes out. As anger, which is why it makes it hard for other people to really understand what's going on with them. And the same thing happens with people with anxiety. You know, I say to a lot of clients that I'm seeing who struggle with anxiety, I say, anxiety is kind of like this cloud, you, you know, that, that's always kind of there. But underneath it, oftentimes, are strong emotions. Mm-hmm. What you're feeling is the anxiety, oftentimes, about the emotion. You're mm-hmm. not aware of the emotion, but you're you're experiencing the anxiety that kind of gets stirred up. And so everything starts to feel anxious. Everything starts to feel overwhelming. And again, the same problem happens for family members where they're kind of going, OK, you know, my mother or my father or my kid is always anxious. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the parts of helping these kind of folks is they both need to learn how to regulate their emotions in the sense that the person who's angry needs to be able to have tools and the ability to calm themselves down. Mm-hmm. What happens for a lot of folks who tend to be to be prone to anger is they tend to blame other people to make them ang- that make them angry. Right. I'm only angry because you did X. Yep. Kind of stuff and you know the and when I see this when I'm doing family therapy or couples therapy, I call them on it really quickly because 
what they're essentially doing is kind of blaming other people. Everybody needs to kind of just meet their expectations mm -hmm. and they're not owning and taking responsibility for their own emotions. Yeah. And that's not okay. Because then they're going to see, my, I don't have a problem. It's everybody else who's giving me a hard time. And so part of it is that emotional regulation, but the same part is true for people who have anxiety. They mm -hmm. need to be able to calm themselves down. You know, and what I mentioned in the article is what, what they both have in common is that if your anxiety or your anger gets too high, it gets hard to rein in. Yes. You've met people. I've met people that go zero to 60 in, you know, nanoseconds, mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of flare up. And, and they really say, I do. I just kind of blow up, but they can't tell when they're starting, when it's starting to, to, to flare. Yeah. yeah. Same thing can happen with people with anxiety. All of a sudden, they kind of get overwhelmed. You know, the classic thing is we think about panic attacks. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden, people are just overwhelmed and they can't pull out of it easily because their whole system is kind of saturated with anxiety. You know, so I think part what I do a lot with folks is you need to you want to rewire your brain to pay attention to those more subtle feelings. You know, and this right. is what I say to folks. Okay, you check in with yourself every hour, you know, on a 10-point scale where one, you're feeling good and flatlined, and 10, you're getting crazy and psychotic, you get to a three or four, you want to stop and go, okay, what's going on? I'm getting irritable, I'm getting mm -hmm. a little bit worried, I'm getting something. Is there something I need to fix here? What's going on? That is there a problem I need to tackle? Is 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 there something I need to do to help? resolve my anger, my irritability, whatever. And sometimes, you know, I talk a lot about this rational anxiety and irrational anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, if you haven't heard back from your husband about, you know, what time he's coming home for dinner and you're not sure what's going on, that's rational anxiety. Do something about it. Send him a text, get it off your plate, mm -hmm. don't dither. Or if you're annoyed with your boss about the schedule, you know, take a couple of deep breaths, but go talk to your boss. Don't just sit there and fume and get irritable. If it's <laughs> irrational, though, and you're just kind of in a bad mood, that's where the tools come in. This is where you kind of need to be able to sit down with yourself and calm yourself down. It's not about the boss. It's not about whatever. It's my anxiety is going up or mm. I'm just feeling irritable. And it could be for a whole lot of different reasons. And I need to do something to calm myself down. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to deep breathe. You know, I'm going to write down how I'm feeling. Something. The more tools you have, the better. Yeah. And and being being aware of those triggers. I know for me, if I don't sleep well, sure. ability goes way off the chart. So if there's a day I haven't I know I haven't slept well, it's like that day I keep reminding myself, OK, you're doing this. You know, yeah. every three is going to feel like a seven. Go right. easy because that's not anybody else's fault. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and just in, in, for couples and families, you know, one of the tools that John Gottman developed a long time ago is, you know, you want to be aware of what's going on inside you. But part, part two of that is you want to let other people know what's going on inside you. Yes. You, yeah. you know, he calls it broadcasting your emotions. If you wake up in a, in a lousy mood because you didn't sleep well, you put people on alert. You say, okay, yeah. guys, leave me alone this morning. Or, you know, I say to folks, if you know at four o'clock, you've had a hard day and you're getting irritable and cranky, mm -hmm. you text everybody on the way home or before you leave the office to let them know, okay, give me a half hour when I hit the door. Right. You know, don't sick the kids on me because I'm just in a lousy mood. 
Let yeah. me go chill out, you know, for a half hour and then I'll circle back. Now you are a hundred percent responsible. Yeah, you are a hundred percent right. And that is a hundred percent the opposite of what a lot of people have been trained to do. So I want to pause for a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about that training on It's Not Therapy. Bob Taby is the guest talking anger and anxiety. Stay tuned. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. back on It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner. I am not a therapist and I'm talking to a therapist, clinical social worker Bob Taby, and we're talking the link between anger and anxiety. And before the break, Bob and I were talking about training and methods of communicating and changing how that's done and how difficult that can be. I, right. I think a lot of people listening, I hear from a lot of men that oh, you know, my family would rather I die on my white horse than admit I'm struggling with something. And then, you know, women say, I'm not appreciated. People don't understand how much work I have in the day. But it is a communication thing. And that transition period can can heighten anxiety because it's new, right? They're stepping into the danger zone that got them sort of smacked down in their families of origin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there, there was a book that came out of like 20 years ago called the first four minutes. Yeah. Psychologists did the research about the first four minutes when you wake up and when you come home, set the pace for like the next three yep. hours, you know, yep. and so you got to be careful. Yeah. So w- people are sort of feeling called out at the moment and going, yeah, okay. This is totally counter to the way I've lived my life so far. If this is a bad thing, how do I start making changes to, transition from feeling like I need to keep everything bottled up, feeling I won't be sure. accepted, I'll be rejected, I'll be negatively judged, in right. part because they don't have those communication skills. What are some baby steps that they can build it up and get positive early experiences instead of just more rejection? Sure. Yeah. And and this is where Again, you're using the right language. It is about baby steps because mm-hmm. you know things that you can't you can't you can't shut down those those anxiety or anger circuits in your brain. You have to create new ones mm-hmm. to take their place, and that takes some time. And it is about baby steps. Obviously, the first starting point is that kind of self awareness. You know, awareness of how you're feeling, awareness of your mood, letting other people know what's kind of going on. The other part of it, though, you know the and when I talk to clients who are struggling with anxiety, and again, we have anger and anxiety kind of are siblings or at least cousins in some kind of way, they kind of overlap, Mm -hmm. is that it's about um, that that the antidote to anxiety is running towards what you're afraid of. And what I mean by that is what happens in your brain, your anxious brain is telling you always to be careful, to be alert to pull back, to not do, to avoid, to mm-hmm. push back, to do whatever. And and if you listen to, the problem with anxiety is if you listen to it, you feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who has social anxiety and is 
anxious about going to a party where they don't know anybody, they call up the host a half hour before the parties go, hey, Bill, I'm sorry I can't make it. I'm not feeling well. Right. Just stay home. Do they feel better? Absolutely. Because they're not going to the party. The mm -hmm. only problem with that is you're feeding the dragon. That's right. In six months, they're going to be agoraphobic. They're not going to leave their house. And so overall, the antidote to anxiety is you need to step outside your comfort zone, both to kind of desensitize yourself to anxiety a bit, mm -hmm. but also to find out that what your anxious brain is telling you is going to happen usually never happens. Right. And it's that experience of finding out that what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. That's the stuff that changes your brain. Yes. Because anxiety is basically the world is not safe. Right. And you need to have the experience. You need to have the behaviors and the baby steps to find out that's not totally true. Yeah. And so, some, so, yeah, sometimes it's true, but most of the time it's not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, so you take the baby steps in doing that. And, you know, in terms of, and the other thing I say to folks, particularly if you're having trouble with anger mm -hmm. is, and other people only see you as a kind of angry person is again, anger. I always talk to people about control controls about anxiety mm -hmm. and what people see on the, on the receiving end is your control, your demands, mm -hmm. your bossing them around, whatever the heck it is. Mm -hmm. And what you want to talk to them about is about worry. You talk mm -hmm. about soft emotions rather than angry emotions. You talk about, you help the other person understand where you're coming from by, by talking about that. Cause that's, what's driving the anger. That's what's driving the control mm -hmm. is the fact that you're feeling worried about something. And if I can get you to do what I want you to do, I don't feel so anxious. Right. It's safer. But people don't understand that because all they're feeling is you're a bully. That's right. Yeah. And so, so, but again, you need to be able to slow it down and be able to realize that. Yeah. You, know, you How... need to ask yourself that question. Okay. I'm starting to get irritable and angry. What's underneath it? Right. What other emotions do I have? What am I afraid of? Yeah. What am I worried about? That, that takes, I mean, that requires support to take that journey, sure. right? How do you deal with an angry person? Because, you know, it's that balance, especially in your line of work of validating the underlying, underlying emotions without rewarding the behavior you're trying to pull the person away from. And that can be a very narrow line to walk. Sure. So, how do you balance not basically training people to realize, oh, if I blow up, then everybody will go, what's wrong and cater to me, right. but also letting them know they are a human and people sure. do care and give it, you know, those first few steps away from the protective crouch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is where they need to, you know, the longer game plan here is they need to learn to have a more emotional flexibility right you know they need to you know again i give them the homework assignment you check in you not only do you check in with yourself every hour to find out where you are in that 10 point scale but when you start to get irritable or angry you're going to ask yourself what else am i feeling besides mm -hmm. that the first 500 times you ask the question you're going to say i don't know i'm just getting irritable but if you ever get a sense of some other emotion like I'm really worried about this, or I'm scared to death about that, mm -hmm. or I'm really sad about something else. 
you want to do something with that. You want to act on it. It's not about the situation. It's not about the context. It's about rewiring your brain. Mm -hmm. And you rewire your brain through action. And repetition. And repetition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and to answer your question, if somebody's angry, obviously what, what you don't want to do is give into the anger. You know, right. again, I used to do a lot of work with parents and teenagers. Yeah. And teenagers, you know, they get this, they go into this oppositional kind of thing where they get upset internally and their instincts are to pick a fight. You know, kids yeah. who are oppositional, they pick a fight, and if they can jerk your chain and get you riled up, <laughs> yep. they, they feel better. Yeah. And what parents tend to do is the kid gets riled up and then the parents get riled up because everybody gets tunnel vision. Right. And what happens in your brain is I want to get you to understand what the heck I'm saying. That's right. And when, this is where parents start to give a lecture. When you're 18 years old, you can do what you want. But right. Yeah. It, the kid's got no brain. Yeah. Because the brain is literally <laughs> offline. Yeah. Yeah. And so they can't process it. And the kid's just in, in just watching you get ramp, ramped up. Yeah. And so what I say to parents is, as soon as your kid gets ramped up, realize the voiceover in your head is, my kid's having a hard time. This is not about me. Mm -hmm. He's picking a fight because he's upset inside. What you don't do, and you don't want to feed the fire. Because mm -hmm. anything you say when somebody's upset is like throwing gasoline on the fire. Yeah. They're going to mishear it. They're going to go, I didn't say Tuesday. I said Thursday. And now they're going to off and running and... People start stacking up evidence to make their case. I got yeah. that and you did this and yeah. the car's yeah. going off the road. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so you got to stop the car. And so what I say to folks, what I say to, you know, couples who are fighting or what I say to, to uh, parents is your first line of defense is to be quiet. It doesn't mean <laughs> you're giving in. It right. doesn't mean the other guy wins. What it does mean, though, is you're just trying to lower the temperature in the room. Yeah. You're trying to put out the fire. Yeah. And what's going to happen in terms of family dynamics is so what you're going to do is kind of get quiet and you fix feelings with feelings. You don't fix them with facts. Your brain's going to tell them, I got to fix them with facts. If I get the other person to understand what I'm saying, they'll calm down. It never works. Uh -huh. And so you fix it with feelings. So you, so you go, hold on. What's going on? How come you're getting upset? Now right. you got to sound like that. You got to sound like Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. This is really hard to do when you're upset. But your first line of defense is to do that. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen now is if you lower the temperature by lowering your voice, the first thing the other guy is going to do is get even more outrageous. They're going to get <laughs> more angry. Yeah. They're going to say they're going to cuss you out because they're going to get anxious and they want to pull you back into the fight. Yep. Because they don't know what to do if you're if you're calm. Yeah. So you brace for that, and you just kind of hold steady. And what they'll do is they'll vent, and you'll let them vent, and then eventually they'll calm down. The fire will go out. Yeah. If you're both getting upset, somebody's got to have a brain here. And this is where I say to folks: as soon as you can tell this is going nowhere, you're both getting upset. What you say is, "I'm getting upset. I need to take a break." What mm -hmm. you don't say is. I'm not talking about this anymore. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Because the other guy is going to feel cut off. Right. And they're going to get anxious because they're afraid you're never going to come back and finish this. And they're going to ramp up even more. This is where they chase you down the hallway or yeah. chase you down the driveway to, to gauge back in the fight.
You don't do that. You got to go, I'm taking a break. I'm going to come back in a half hour. I tell people to set a timer so the other guy knows you're coming back. And then do whatever you need to do to calm yourself down. That's great advice, distinguishing between I need a break, I need to hit pause versus rejecting the other person's heightened state. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really the goal with threading the needle of these things is um, letting them know you want to talk to them. You just want to be productive. Right. Yeah. Right. We're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Not- uh, yeah. That's by the time two people are just like screaming at each other stuff's only going to get broken right right, you, th- right. nothing's going to get this work is dangerous yeah, yeah yeah and that's where you say things that people are going to remember forever and you can't take back absolutely and, and knowing yeah. when to rap is a really good skill in radio as well so bob tavy clinical social worker i think you can feel bob's energy right check out his blog on psychology today fixing families he provides training internationally but he's based in charlottesville virginia so anybody in that area wants to look him up uh bob thank you so much thank you for the real practical uh first steps to overcoming anger and anxiety my pleasure and that means it's time for our final break of this it's not therapy when we come back Anger, anxiety, and social media, the place where enragement is officially engagement. How to navigate when we come back. It's not therapy. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on the final segment of this episode of It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner, still not a therapist, and we're talking anger, anxiety, and the impacts of the social media age on both. I talked about cancel culture in the opening, and social media didn't create cancel culture, but it did make it much louder and more immediate. For me, cancel culture isn't about predictable consequences for behavior. It's a sense that you can be canceled, thrown out of a professional or social sphere, merely for being accused of something. Now, that's happened throughout human history, the period of anonymous pamphlet writing after the creation of the movable type printing press was the previous golden age of life-ruining slander. But we're living in another one now for the same reason, a sudden leap forward in technology and the amount of information that people know about each other. Now, I've been canceled both when I was on television, because people in Canadian media are just horrifically cruel to women in the industry, but also in a previous career as a video game journalist. I actually got cancelled for doing my job and reporting on a story. I'll spare you the gory details. Then, years later, I got an attempted cancellation when a Twitch streamer named Hassan Piker branded me a racist over a time paradox storyline in the video game series Mortal Kombat. That was really stupid. And just last week, J.K. Rowling tried to cancel me. Yes, J.K. Rowling, author of Harry Potter, tried to get me canceled for pedophilia apologia. What? Yeah. 
yeah, that actually happened. It's a bit of a complicated story dealing with the even more complicated world of engaging with and treating pedophiles before they harm children. The people who provide that therapy are constantly at risk of public attacks and way more research needs to be done on methods. But I do believe, for the record, in not just defending that field of therapy because anything that stops another kid from getting hurt is a good thing in my books. I also believe in the principle of just innocent until proven guilty. Now, J.K. Rowling's on another tear against the Scottish government regarding what else? Transgender rights and her opposition to them. And in the process, she's come out and said that it's fine to fire people based just on accusations, not evidence, just accusations. Because this week she's got a beef with a particular charity that works with transgender youth. That's where we clashed because I don't agree with that. No surprise, her followers sided with her. A really mean fan base like hers online is referred to on the internet as flying monkeys. And the flying monkeys came for me before I knew why. Hundreds of people were calling me a pedophile and a pedophile apologist. On Yom Kippur of all nights, so weird. I was about to sign out for the night coming sundown and it's like, boom, what? It was only after a couple of days of the flying monkey attack that I discovered that J.K. Rowling had quote tweeted me criticizing her stance on wanting to get people fired and shut down entire forms of communication like the Discord messaging platform. It's hard to follow. Twitter always is. Now, worse. Yes, it gets worse. This excitement, excitement, once again riled up a stalker I've had for about 10 years. This woman likes to make up lies about me. When I got an article in a magazine for this show, It's Not Therapy, she sent a barn burner of an email to the magazine accusing me of a whole bunch of things. Her accusations don't tend to make sense, and everyone involved quickly dismissed it as the work of a crank. But... This woman is violent. Her original issue with me is that I witnessed her abusing an ex-partner. Fortunately, she doesn't know where I live anymore. For now. And yes, I've been to the police. They won't do anything until she commits another crime. And as long as she just lies about me to anyone who will listen, it's a civil matter, not a criminal one. Now, obviously, all of this is pretty anxiety-inducing. For some people, it's worse nightmare territory. And that's why I'm talking about it. Because this goes back to what Bob was saying about the anxious brain and threats. This stalker was what eventually caused me to enter PTSD therapy. Ten years ago, this kind of stuff was unbearable for me. And now it's really interesting to take stock and realize it's just the cost of doing business. That's the difference between a mind that's dysregulated regarding analyzing and assessing threats and a mind that's balanced. This villain in my story was the beginning of me learning to be the hero of it. The thing about online harassment is that the threat of what someone could do for you is 99.9% .9 of the time worse than what they actually end up doing. Yes, the JK Rowling fly flying monkeys threatened my job and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The internet is great at making your mind play tricks on you. And obviously, being called a pedophile by hundreds of people isn't fun. 
I've actually been reminding myself the last few days that, yeah, yeah, that actually happened. And it was only a week ago. It still doesn't feel real. But this is the crazy of the internet that's a problem, precisely because it hurts people. Being terrified of reputational damage keeps a lot of people silenced and stuck and angry and anxious. That fear is a prison of our own making. Everyone feels it to some extent or another. We all have said and done things we're not proud of, and I don't want it splashed all over the internet. That's what makes cancel culture so scary. But that's why self-compassion is so important. If you want to do anything significant with your life, someday you're going to have to face that mob. And it's terrifying at first. But remember what Bob said, that the key to overcoming anxiety is running towards what you're afraid of. He's absolutely right. There are a lot of cruel people out there, which is why it's so important to not be cruel to yourself. Beating yourself up makes it harder to deal with this stuff, not easier. I mean, could I have kept my mouth shut? Yeah, sure, but I didn't want to. Filthy rich people looking down their noses at the rest of us and telling us how to live, it just annoys me. And I'm kind of glad I got under her skin. I know every time I tweet that there's a chance this could happen. It's part of the job. And yeah, it means some people are going to think I'm terrible. People think I'm terrible for what I say on the radio and podcasts. I mean, that's life. Sometimes you're defined by the quality of your enemies. And then there's that whole, but you're going to lose fans argument. And I've never understood that. I'm not interested in people being my fan. I'm interested in people being their best selves. And that means setting an example of being my best self by taking some calculated risks, by being myself. It's impossible to make everyone like you, despite what some media publicists have told me. I mean, some people don't like Tom Holland. I don't understand how that's even possible. How can anyone hate Spider-Man, right? But what this means is the only choice you have is the choice about who is going to like you and who you're prepared to have hate you and what you're prepared to do about either of those things. And the minute you make that choice, it's amazing how much less anxious and angry you feel. Heroes have villains. That's why I talk about being the hero of your own story and not anyone else's. Let other people make the choices that are right for them. But for me, I mean, right now, J.K. Rowling's a pretty cool villain of my week. I mean, that's pretty peak right there. Kind of an accomplishment that I didn't intend. You're going to have weird weeks in life. I have more than many. You're going to have setbacks in life. Things are going to be unfair sometimes. But don't let that stop you from living your best life. Don't let the anxiety and the fear keep you stuck. You'll waste less time recovering from a setback than you'll spend living in fear, paralyzed of what might happen. So take some chances. They're worth it. And that's the show. And I spoke about choices earlier, but I still haven't decided. 
what I want to talk about next week. <laughs> the road of life will take me where it will. And who knows? Who knows where that road's going to go this week? We live in interesting times, right? Right. If you want to suggest to me a show topic, give me a call. 289-275-9600. That's 289-275-9600. Or email me, liana at nottherapyshow.com or at nottherapyshow on Twitter and Instagram. So... Until then, hope everyone had a great Canadian Thanksgiving over the weekend. Hope everybody has a great weekend this week and a great week coming in. And remember, your crazy is only a problem if it's hurting you. Bye for now. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.